Hey, pull up a chair. It's Hacks on Tap with David Axelrod, Robert Gibbs, and Mike Murphy. The A's are 57. The Nays are 43. Uh, Two-thirds of the senators present not having voted guilty. The Senate judges that the respondent, Donald John Trump, former president of the United States, is not guilty as charged in the article of impeachment. Well, Murphy, the annual uh, Trump acquittal has come and gone. Uh, and there's, a, as usual, there's all kinds of uh, stuff left in his wake, uh, especially for uh, you Republicans, but for the country as well. And who better to have with us than your fellow bunker mate, uh, Bill Crystal? Uh, who's been so uh, active in the in the never Trump world? How are you guys feeling today? Oh, we're we're I'm as excited as Pat Leahy there, Captain Energy. <laughs> boy, oh boy, how do they hold him back from that fiery statement? He's been like that for twenty years, let alone this week. No, we're, I'm I'm pissed off. I'm pissed off for a million obvious reasons. Bill, how are you? I'm fine. One problem with being part of such a small though highly principled and admirable insurgency is that you don't get to choose all your bunker mates very carefully. So here I am with, here I am with Murphy. Here That's I am right. with Murphy after you take what you 30 can get, years man. of trying to, trying to, to of working with him and trying to avoid him, you know? Crystal and I have been making trouble for three decades. I'm, I'm his last friend in Republican politics, and I'm barely hanging on. Yeah, if you're looking for Murphy to signify uh, your uh, connection to Republican politics, you're in deep trouble. Yeah, it's you're kind doomed. of pathetic. It's like some movie. You know, I, I mentioned Murphy. Murphy mentions me. And we each stupid, foolishly think that this gives, this shows we really are still have some Republican connections. But, but, but seriously, you guys, you know, everybody is focused. First of all, I, I was saying to Bill before we started uh, rolling here, you know, I do feel like we ought to note the fact that seven Republicans uh, did stand up in the Senate and 10 in the House. Those were both record numbers for an impeachment of people who who, who left their party uh, or left the party position uh, to vote their consciences. And yes, only one of them, Senator Murkowski, is up in 2022 and two of them are retiring. But they did, uh, you know, they did open a big can of whoop on themselves because the uh, Trump world is... Uh, is is out for vengeance and Trump himself. But 43 Republicans uh, voted uh, in uh, contravention of really a very, very clear and compelling case um, to acquit Trump. And the question is, uh, how much do we focus on them or how much do we focus on the 80 percent of Republican voters who they were channeling and afraid of. Well, it's a grab bag of both. I mean, I I oscillate between being furious at them for being cowards. I mean, here they are, you know, really? A free haircut is worth this? You know, not being able to look in the mirror for the rest of your career? And, And kudos to a few of the surprises, like Senator Burr, although he too is retiring. But I'm mad at the dumbass voters. We have a lot of dumbass voters in this country, some on the loony left, but a hell of a lot in the angry grievance right. And so these guys are reflecting a political reality out there that is incredibly depressing because it's now based on sedition, lies, and loudism. 
And, you know, of course, you're going to find the Marco Rubios and Nikki Haley's and the rest who will scamper right up to feed their own ambition at it. But it's a disease in our culture, too. And, you know, you look at reality TV. I mean, just stupidism is on the march. And we're seeing the Republican Party being a huge enabler of it, which is that guys like Crystal and I have been in this fight for good conservative reasons for decades. It's totally heartbreaking. And it's hard to have much optimism about the future. Did you guys see, uh, Bill, did you see uh, Brownstein's piece uh, yesterday, which I thought was very powerful uh, based on the AEI poll? The fact that twice as many Republicans believe the basic tenets of QAnon uh, than believe that Trump was at all responsible for what happened on January 6th. I mean, that's got to be like make your head explode. No, for three years, well, four or five years, People have been saying, my colleague Jonathan Last has kept saying, Trumpism corrupts. And it turned out to be even truer than I realized. I've agreed with him all along, but that it, it, the party has gotten worse. It hasn't just stayed stable. And it, amazingly, it got it's gotten worse even in the last three months after Trump lost, after uh, the big lie that was such an evident lie and such a pointless lie, because ultimately it wasn't going to turn the election around. All it was going to do was poison our politics and lead to something like January 6th after January 6th. And at each point, one said, finally, finally, people are going to snap back. And there was a little bit of it. Seven senators not uh, is better than one. Ten members of the House is better than zero to compare it to the impeachment from a year before. But this one was so much clearer. Uh, and, and so that part, yes, the, the, the craziness is crazier than it was. The indulgence of real extremism, not just a kind of occasional flirting with it, but real deeply embedded extremism, the indulgence of a big lie, which is a very dangerous lie. And, and again, the refusal to confront that is really extraordinary. And for me, I mean, Mitch McConnell gave that kind of ridiculous yeah, speech. We'll put a pin right. in it right there. Let, let's just listen to that for a second. And I, I'd love to talk about that. There's no question, none, that President Trump is practically and morally responsible for provoking the events of the day. No question about it. So acquit him. <laughs> yeah, that was a hell of a speech moments after you vote to acquit the guy. And of course, he 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 grabbed the life raft that all these Republicans did who didn't want to defend Trump's behavior, which was uh, it, it was unconstitutional to. Uh, to uh, try a former president for leading an insurrection and that the courts uh, ought to do it. Uh, but, I mean, <laughs> I don't know that you can, uh, sp- you know, split the baby here. The Solomonic t- tone he was trying to strike. Yes, it was awful. I condemn him. He was guilty, but we just didn't have jurisdiction. I mean, it, it seems like he, now everybody's pissed off at him. Yeah, what's striking to me is, I mean, two things. First of all, he's 78 years old. He just got reelected. He's in his final term, one presumes. Uh, he's now minority leader, not majority leader. He had a very successful, however, whatever one thinks of it, but six years as majority leader. Even so, even so, he wanted to vote. I really believe it, from what I've been told. He wanted to vote to convict yeah. Trump, and, 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 he, and he got talked out of it. Why? Why? What would there might be a rebellion against him? He might he might be deposed as minority leader. Would that be the end of the world? I mean, and I don't think he would have been, incidentally. So he gives that speech, which is totally contrary to his vote. But for me, the most revealing thing was Lindsey Graham. Lindsey Graham, yeah. the next day, Lindsey Graham is a smart guy, a shrewd guy. He's uh, he's st- he wants to run for president. The idea that he's just positioning himself for like South Carolina. Do you think so? I, I totally. saw that. He wants to run in twenty twenty four. Here's but- his theory. 
I can get away with being the most, not get away, I can benefit from being the most sycophantic uh, Trump follower because I was once not a Trump follower. I was a McCain guy. So some of the establishment guys will kind of think that I'm reasonable deep down. But meanwhile, he's the most shameless. He attacks McConnell for the speech. For me, that that says that McConnell is now, there are not going to be a lot of McConnells for the next three, six, nine months. People are going to sound much more like Lindsey Graham, much more like Cruz and Hawley and all these characters. And so McConnell, despite the ridiculousness of this, trying to split the baby, as you say, David, uh, is now to the less Trumpy side uh, of, of of the mainstream of the party, I think. And I think Lindsey is shrewd about this, unfortunately. <laughs> and we are going to get Lara Trump, I guess, as the North Carolina Senate nominee. And I hereby endorse the Lindsey for president movement in 2024. Simply because, much in the Tom Harkin tradition that Axe will remember from his many, many decades uh, toiling in the political vineyard, oh, it'll yes. take South Carolina off the uh, map, which is good for the squishy uh, Ben Sass who might win New Hampshire. So on, on behalf of destroying Lindsey Graham, I hope he runs <laughs> and takes South Carolina off the primary map. Mike is still living. It's good that it's good to have Mike around because he's still living in a fantasy world that there are reasonable Republicans, yeah. and I've kind of I've kind of moved beyond that. Or that Lindsey's <laughs> leash will be long enough. I mean, I don't know which of you guys said that. I, I I don't know how much leash you can grab before this notion that you're you're reasonable. You know, right. underneath is oh, that's done though. Nobody will believe it. Let's listen to him yesterday. Donald Trump is the most vibrant member of the Republican Party. The Trump movement is alive and well. People believe that he brought change to Washington. Policy-wise, it was long overdue. Uh, all I can say is that the most potent force in the Republican Party is President Trump. We need Trump plus. And uh, at the end of the day, I've been involved in politics for over 25 years. Uh, the president is a handful. And what happened on January the 6th was terrible for the country. But he's not singularly to blame. Democrats have sat on the sidelines and watched the country be right. burned down for a year and a half. And that said a damn word. And most Republicans are tired of the hypocrisy. So, no, Nikki's wrong about President Trump. Uh, North Carolina, the biggest winner, I think, of this whole impeachment trial is Laura Trump, my dear friend friend Richard Burr, who I like and, and have been friends to a long time, just made Laura Trump almost a certain nominee for the Senate seat in North Carolina to replace him if she runs. And I'll certainly be behind her because I think she represents the future of the Republican Party. Run, Laura, run. Isn't it Lara Trump? Oh, it's carpetbagger, dingbat. See, I'm in a mood today unqualified personal trainer Trump. I, but. Yeah, but I just hope by the time Lindsay gets down there to campaign for her, he gets her name right. Oh, I'm, uh, I'm sure he will. feels so deeply about her. Uh, but uh, that's, you know, we, we were talking before you came uh, came came on, Mike. Uh, I mean, Lindsay is, is nothing if not a good weather vane. Uh, and that's where the prevailing winds are in the Republican Party today. They are right now. I still believe that the Trump thing has a half-life. It will never vanish, and it'll still be powerful. The question is how powerful. And, you know, I hope she runs, and I hope Ivanka or Ivanka, whatever, Ivanka, the daughter, runs and primaries Rubio in Florida, which is the other great rumor, because I want to see him in the wind tunnel of actually being a candidate. It's one thing about being kind of, you know, one of the lesser nobles in the House of Trump while he's president. But let's put her in a campaign. Let's get the 200-mile-an-hour wind and the microscope going, and let's just see what she's got. I hope they all run. You saw uh, the uh, local chair from the West Palm or whatever 
Republican chair, was uh, urging Matt Gates to get into the Senate race against Rubio. <laughs> and you could see it. I mean, I don't think that's uh, that far-fetched. No, no, he's got a base and he's media-friendly. Uh, the funny thing, just Florida detail, his father was a widely respected Republican state senator. One of the real legislators, thoughtful, conservative, smart, widely respected. And so what? Blame the mother? No, no. But the the family, <laughs> the family has. Uh, yes, I, I I totally do. His sister's a friend of mine, but he um he's there. There's a bit of a in in the political world in Florida that name has some power before he besmirched it by being him. But yeah, he could run. I look. I think it's going to be open season on Trump imitators for the next year. Because the media will write, if you're doing the Trump Act, you're invincible. Then we'll find out in the primary year. We, we, we will see. I, I think it's going to decline. It won't decline enough, but I, I think we've got peak Trumpy madness when the Senate compromised its values two days ago. I think that's possible. I mean, I, I wrote a piece in the Bulwark today saying, we just don't know, and it's foolish to assume we do, and we should... Uh, those of us who would like to have a healthy politics should advance on every front, whether it's supporting decent Republicans in primaries, supporting decent Democrats, supporting conceivably some independent candidates. I don't think that's very likely, but uh, advancing certain ideas and political reforms, et cetera. I mean, I, I'm very agnostic about, very, very confident of my lack of ability to to predict the future. But I, so I, I very much agree with that. But on the other hand, yeah, I think it's quite possible right now. Uh, uh, well, A, B, I would say it is possible that this is, my friend Andy Zwick calls this a, uh, a possible uh, a bubble of Trumpism almost. It does feel it's gotten so crazy. A lot of gas and, in it, I'll tell you that. Yeah, and this, <laughs> it feels sort of like the way a market feels when, you know, it's not just the good tech stocks and then the mediocre tech stocks, but some ludicrous tech stock is selling it up, you know, hundred times earnings. Yeah, he's the game stock, yeah. So. And, you know, you feel like, well, maybe this is getting a little crazy here with Lara Trump and every crackpot, you know, and, and maybe the bubble will burst some, or maybe not, though. And what will cause it to burst is a question. Maybe a little bit of just being tired of it, maybe Trump sitting around Mar-a-Lago, maybe some legal problems for Trump. Uh, a successful Biden administration would help some, but the degree to which the it can now feed on itself, and people who've studied movements like this. You know, the demagogue is is demagoguing and no one's pushing back much and uh, who's, you know, who's on, who's a Republican. And uh, I, I'm pretty worried that it doesn't, I, I hope it's a bubble, but I'm worried that it's not. Murphy is less concerned because he's not Jewish like you and me. <laughs> yeah, the Irish have no experience with having a rough time, rough, a rough time of it. Yeah, we, we've never done anything in politics either. So what the hell do we know? <laughs> All right, let's take a minute to hear from one of our esteemed sponsors. You know, Gibbs, every once in a while uh, on Twitter, people will write in and say, Axe, you make me nauseous. But nausea is nothing to joke about. It's like getting stuck in the back of a car and you're kind of a little bit hemmed in and you just you get that feeling and it starts in your stomach. It's not. Yeah. A good one. And, and, and like you're on your way to something good, a, a celebration or party or something. And now you're nauseous and you can't get rid of it, except there is an answer now and it's called Relief Band. Tell us about Relief Band. Relief Band is the number one FDA-cleared anti-nausea wristband that has been clinically proven to quickly relieve and effectively prevent nausea and vomiting associated with 
motion sickness, anxiety, migraines, hangovers, morning sickness, chemotherapy, and so much more. The product is 100% drug-free, non-drowsy, and provides all-natural relief with zero side effects, zero, for as long as needed. The technology was originally developed over 20 years ago in hospitals to relieve nausea from patients, but now through Relief Band, it's available to all of us. Here's how it works with Relief Band. It stimulates a nerve in the wrist that travels to the part of the brain that controls nausea. Then it blocks the signal your brain is sending to your stomach, telling you that you're sick. Relief Band is the only over-the-counter wearable device that has been used in hospitals and oncology clinics to treat nausea and vomiting. If you know somebody who deals with nausea, Relief Band makes a great gift. I'm telling you, Relief Band works. We know from our own experience, we sent one to our engineer who often gets nauseous during our shows, and he reports 100% cure. Don't fall for those cheap bands you see in drugstores or on your Instagram feed. All right. Right now, Relief Band has an exclusive offer just for our Hacks listeners. If you go to reliefband.com and use promo code HACKS, you'll receive 20% off plus free shipping and a no questions asked 30-day money-back guarantee. So head to reliefband, R-E-L-I-E-F-B-A-N-D.com and use our promo code HACKS for 20% off plus free shipping. Hey, so what about this presidential stuff? You're right. You, you mentioned, Mike, that uh, Nikki Haley, and you heard Lindsay reference it, uh, did an interview with Tim Alberta uh, in Politico and, and you know, uh, basically jumped off the Trump wagon. It was like, OK, thanks for the lift. I'm gone. I'm off now. Uh, yeah, I, I haven't the, heard the, that routine since the uh, the first cars heading toward Nuremberg. You know, oh, God, you ought to read my diary. I never liked any of it. <laughs> I used to think that Nikki was anonymous because I thought she, I, 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 my, I'm not a fan. I want to be a fan. A lot of us in Jeb world helped her a lot early. Uh, but I've been around South Carolina politics, uh, and, and all that. And she is the most cynical person I've ever encountered in politics, which is saying something. And yeah, so man. you've been around, I have been around. And so I, I just think this is all calculated. Just like sucking up to Trump every time it was in her advantage. Was well, there's no doubt about it. Look, she was anti-Trump. She became pro-Trump. Uh, pro-Trump. Yeah. She went to the Oval Office w- w- cleverly and resigned in his presence and p- heaped praise on him so he wouldn't, uh, you know, kick her like he did everybody else who left the administration. And uh, and she she bit her tongue through all of this. And waited until now, but she is making a bet, which is that by the time 2024 rolls rolls around, that there will be a market for a, a an anti-Trump or at least a fallen away uh, follower yeah, the, the of flaw, Trump. Flaw though is she'll reverse. The minute there's pain in this Trump stuff, she she won't pay that price, and so she'll she's like Rubio. You know, she'll recalculate. That's why they like each other so much. It she'll recalculate. So I, I think it's actually a pretty smart move for her. I just don't believe I, two two wave one one mention on Hannity and one Eric Trump tweet, and she'll be right back in the parade. Is is my prediction? I think it's twenty four. is just so hard, so long away that I, yeah. I, who knows? I, I think that's very much true about her and Rubio. But and I think we end up maybe with the worst of both worlds. That is, if you want to get beyond Trump, you can go to a real a non Trumpy Republican, not an anti Trump one, but a non Trumpy one. And if you want Trump, they're going to be 
10 people competing to be the truest, Trumpiest person, whether it's uh, a Trump, whether Trump himself, just to start with that, who still remains the single most likely Republican nominee in 2024, if you just look at the numbers, I think, or a Trump family member, or obviously Tucker Carlson, or, you know, various uh, senators and governors and members of Congress who would compete to be the, the Trump heir. So, but 2022, just to get back to that for a second, Mike mentioned, is is going to be very interesting. I mean, it could be, I mean, I just think there'd just be primaries in states ranging from on the Republican side, Senate primaries, and where? Pennsylvania, Ohio, Arizona, yeah. a lot of states, a uh, lot, of, lot of House primaries, because there'll be more open seats and redistricted seats than usual. So a certain amount of flux there always is after the after the census and, and the you know in the zero year, so kind of a lot of activity uh, in the states, and we'll get a real sense of where the Republican Party is. But just here's one thing that no one paid any attention to, and I didn't either, except I was talking with David Holt, the mayor of Oklahoma City. Do you know him, David Axelrod? If you had him up there, you should. I have so not. Yeah, was good. Very moderate Republican, very successful mayor so far of that city. Uh, didn't support Trump and uh, took some grief in Oklahoma, as you can imagine, for it, but has stuck to his guns, and it's a nonpartisan election. So so I think you'll be okay there. And he uh, called my attention to a, 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 a Republican primary last week, a special election in a state Senate, I think it was, seat in, I don't know, Oklahoma City at all. So I think it was in the, it was in the Oklahoma City suburbs, I take it, in a kind of upper middle class, middle class Republican area. The establishment supported a pro-business traditional Republican and, you know, that was, you know, who was an attractive candidate apparently. Uh, and she was beaten by a total Trump-supporting election hoax, election fraud, stop the steal, enthusiast, COVID-semi-denying Trump candidate, and presumably will win this state Senate seat because it's such a Republican district. So someone needs to double check all these uh, yeah. facts before going with this. If you're listening to this podcast, but but I mean that's no, just no. Once you say it on hacks on tap, it's fact. Yeah, man. no, it's done, and it's a, yeah, a good no point. Fact. But it's an act. No, it's you can say it's Oklahoma. It's not going to be like that in the suburbs of Pittsburgh. But it's this is Oklahoma City, which well, is, yeah. But the fact that this was in a suburban district is yeah. really concerning. Yeah, because you would think that's where if there's going to be uh, an ill effect for the Republican Party, that's where they're going to feel it. And there will be the general elections in yeah. some of these places, but I think the primary electorate just is uh, at this point the bubble is is strong, and the and and Trump Trump and Trumpism and various correlates of Trumpism, and again is strong. And once you get to the kind of it's not just the routine demagoguery, uh, extremism, a certain amount of bigotry, nativism, and all that. That was bad enough. We are now in such crazed conspiracy theorizing. Uh, and when you get in that bubble, one hopes it pops, you know, but I, I worry that it's not. Jonathan Lass, my colleague uh, who edits the Bulwark and has done such a great job there, has a, a piece, his newsletter this morning, which is up on the website. It says, what people need, every Republican needs to be asked two questions in the next couple of years, every Republican office holder, every Republican candidate. Uh, uh, who won? Was the, who won the election in twenty twenty, and was it a fair and uh, and free election? Who genuinely won it, and was it legitimate and fair? And how many Republicans right now will just answer that by saying yes, Joe Biden won, and he won yeah. fair and square? And I bet the answer is not as great. Mitch McConnell is willing to cross that line, but I don't know how many of his colleagues, maybe half of them, but how many in the House, maybe. A third of them, how many who are going to be running in open seats in 2022? Maybe a quarter of them? I don't know. I'm quoting this sort of off the top of my head, but since we're making 
shit up anyway. I, I might <laughs> as well. No, but I, I think that about three quarters of Republicans said that they thought that the, the election was fraudulent. But, uh, you know, I think about half said that they accept, you know, uh, the legitimacy of, of, of Biden as president, which are kind of astonishing numbers. I think you're going to see pollsters and, well, particularly people who are putting focus groups together are going to use this as a screening question. Uh, if, That's you know, true. You're going to have to weight surveys to it. But if you're trying to put a group together of people who are persuadable and you've got Republicans who say uh, Biden, uh, you know, Trump won the election and Biden's an illegitimate president, you're probably not going to talk to them because they, you know that you're not going to move them. Uh, you know, you know, you're not going to move them. But uh, but, you know, you're right, Bill, that these battles will be fought. And even if the you know what's going to happen is people are going to try and get to the right of their opponent on these issues to get more crazy, more extreme. And then, they, you know, in some of these places, they're going to face a general election. Uh, you look at these, you know, you've got two Republican seats in the U.S. Senate in Wisconsin and Pennsylvania. Uh, you do have a seat down in North Carolina. Uh, you know, what happens if uh, these candidates uh, end up being, you know, defeating more mainstream uh, Republican candidates? It, it does open up opportunities. I mean, they could lose Senate seats uh, at the end of these battles, well, just as they could lose the presidency in 2024 by competing to see who uh, is the Trumpiest of the candidates. I, I think in some of the congressional primaries, there could be an interesting coalition, well, coalition, interesting effect, because you'll get the purest QAnon nut in a flying saucer. You'll get the regular Republican who's faking it with Trump stuff. And in some places, you're going to get the the Ben Sassian candidate. And in the three-way, without a you know racist runoff from the dark legacy of the Democratic Party in the South, you, you might have in some of these things kind of a funny split the vote between Trump and ultra purist, crazy Trump. It's just like in the presidential. One candidate who I think keep an eye on because I think she's capable of starting to drop. Don't say Q Gina Raimondo. No, 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 not, not my <laughs> beloved uh, uh, secretary now, Raimondo. Keep an eye on Christy Nome in South Dakota. Yeah. Because she's the new and improved, telegenic, like a Sarah Palin with a little. She hasn't done the Q stuff yet, but I, I think, I think, I think you could literally in the Trump world have a have a bit of a fraction there, and that that in some of the plurality races, yeah, uh, where there's no runoff, could be interesting. I, the other thing is there's a Harris Wofford effect here. He was the guy who won the special yeah. back, as you guys know in Pennsylvania. He ran on health care. All of a sudden, the whole debate is health care. There's a cat bites dog, so. If 10 Trumpies win primaries, but there are two upset wins by non-Trumpies, that'll be treated as the bigger story. Now, mm. that may not change the outcome, but it'll be a thing. Well, if I were Liz Cheney, uh, to, apropos to your point, if I were Liz Cheney, I'd invite a whole bunch of people into that primary. Oh, hell yeah. You yeah, QRST. And this is why, for those of us who are going to be involved in this, hopefully over the next year, year and a half, it's such a tactical retail thing. You can't generalize too much because every primary will have its own character and these there'll be new districts and and uh, different candidates and multi-candidate races and runoff some places and not others. So it's, it requires a pretty, there's no kind of one size fits all way to save the party. An awful lot of just grunt work has to happen to at least save some chunk of the party, I would say. But just David, on your point about Losing some of these states, I think that's possible. Pennsylvania, certainly, maybe Wisconsin, for, for Trumpy Republican candidates, um, and losing some House seats, perhaps in the suburbs, 
back again, having taken the Republicans having taken yep. all those uh, in, in 2020. On the other hand, I think what Kevin McCarthy would say, you know what, I'll take my chances on a few wacky well, he candidates. Did. Uh, because yes, and he has said this because you know what, it's going to be a referendum on that always is the first two years on the incumbent president, and there's always that you know grievances have accumulated, and they tend to do badly in the first off year election. And I, you know, I hope that's not right, frankly, and I hope that Biden succeeds, and I hope people have some sense that we can't put the Republicans back in charge of either House of Congress because of the damage they can do. But I'm not sure, and this is where we, I come back to the Biden administration. Poor Biden. He's the only new president we've ever we've had, I think, ever in our lifetime. Who like we can have this people three political junkies like us can have this conversation for half an hour, and I'm not being critical, but it's been important. I think I've enjoyed it, and we haven't mentioned the guy's name. Right? It's like yes, in yeah. a normal world, we'd be obsessing <laughs> about well, is their tactic, uh, there's, is their legislative strategy good on the 1.9 trillion, and what about the co- confirmations? But I think the Biden success is an extremely important variable. If Biden yeah. is doing pretty well, Agreed. we're in a totally different world than if Biden looks shaky, fairly or unfairly, incidentally. But I mean. Just just in terms of popularity and approval. And that's where the Kevin McCarthy bet either pays off or doesn't pay off, which in turn has huge implications for the future, I think, of of the party and of our politics. But a big part of that bet, which is unlitigated now, is ideology. What the ours in the House will tell you, including the go-along regulars who've been like, well, can't fight them, primaries, is that the Biden guys are going to overreach on ideology, particularly in the House. The progressives are going to run wild. And then business is cutting off money because of Trump. All those guys will come back because they're like, look, it's either you or or scary left-wing stuff. So we're going to put up with it. That's totally the bet. Well, that's the other bet that McCarthy is making. But I'll I'll tell you something. I think Biden is is navigating this pretty well. Yeah. And ultimately, the thing there are two things that are going to impact on uh, on on what happens uh, in 2022. Because you're right, history is not very encouraging for an incumbent president in that regard. One is how quickly he gets us out of this virus, and the other is how uh, much energy there is behind the economy going into that election, because there are all kinds of reasons to believe the economy is going to be very strong going into the midterms in 2022. But let's talk about Kevin McCarthy for a second. He can't, uh, we can't escape uh, without kicking him in the ass. Uh, So it turns out during this uh, during this, the final days of this trial, that we learned that he and Trump had this conversation while the thing was going on, and these idiots were trying to break into McCarthy's office, and he's asking Trump for help, and Trump is saying, "Well, I guess they care more about the election than you do." And McCarthy, uh, according to this account, uh, said, "Who the fuck do you think you're talking to?" Sounds like a a, a brusque uh, conversation there, uh, and. Then he flies down to Florida to kiss to kiss Trump's ass, and he is back to carrying water for him. I mean, I said before that Lindsay's a good weather vane. I mean, I think McCarthy is an even finer calibrated uh, weather vane. But man, talk about th- this guy had Trump on the phone pleading for him to save his life, and Trump was uh, taunting him and. That's that's okay. That's that was yesterday. Oh, but it's the history of Trump. Trump always gets Pinochet points for doing that dictator stuff. You know, I don't hear you barking like a seal, Kevin. Why don't we hear that? You know, he, he enjoys the Doctor Evil stuff. You know, you know McCarthy's real problem, be, besides the obvious that we've been talking about, 
the biggest illusion in conventional wisdom is that McCarthy is control of is in control of the Republican conference. He's not. He's hanging on by a thread. I'm not sure he'll if if they win the house he might hang on by a thread. If they and still I think he might have a challenge. If he loses the house he's dead. So he is a guy, he's got the lion tamer problem, which is every lion tamer worries that one day the lion will figure out, wait a minute, that's just a monkey in a suit with a chair. <laughs> How hungry am I? And so he, there, nobody in that caucus is afraid of Kevin, or that conference is afraid of Kevin McCarthy. And so- Can I just come back, uh, just to add one thing though, it's worse than, than David did that you said. Think of it, McCarthy allegedly had this tough conversation where he told, where he cursed to Trump. I'm a little dubious that he had the actual nerve to do that, but maybe he did. That was, uh, by his own account, Wednesday afternoon, January 6th at about 2.33 p.m. Wednesday evening, January 6th. Yeah, when, he voted, he voted, he voted to, to the overturn the electors. I mean, <laughs> it, it, he was so indignant. He was so so standing up to Trump that he caved within hours, let alone a week later and let alone a month later, refusing to testify. Well, maybe that's why uh, he was so indignant with Trump, Bill. Maybe he was indignant that he was going to get killed by these rioters and wouldn't get the chance to overturn the electors. <laughs> good point. Uh, yeah. Maybe that, was, yeah. maybe that was maybe that was what was a tweet that well done Kevin tweet to save his life. He didn't get it. OK, then let's take a break right here and we'll be right back. So we should say a word about the Democratic Party and, and the, the House. I actually I thought that they put on a really powerful case. I mean, I think it was laid out pretty clearly and you had to willfully ignore it to not vote for uh, uh, for conviction. But, you know, uh, one of the um, one of the stars of, of that very good group of House prosecutors, as it were, uh, Stacey Plaskett was on television yesterday and she was taking some heat for their decision not to uh go forward with witnesses and i mean i have my own view on this but we should uh we should listen to her why did you back down i think we didn't back down i think what we did was we got what we wanted which was her statement which was what she said and had it put into the record and being able to say it on the record out loud so that others would hear just so the american public is aware Witnesses in a Senate hearing do not come and stand before the senators and make any statements. It's a deposition, it's videotaped, and that is brought before the Senate. So I know that people are feeling a lot of angst and believe that maybe if we had this, the senators would have done what we wanted. But listen, we didn't need more witnesses. We needed more senators with spines. Well, they did handle that A-plus uh, Trump legal team. I mean, I didn't know DeVries had a college of law, and so those two titans, and I don't know how the Democrats got around them. I give them kudos. But, you know, they it was a fixed jury. They weren't yeah. going to win. Capone paid off the jurors, so I think they did about as well as they possibly could have. They did well, and I think we should give them a real hat uh, hat tip in the sense that I, it, I, watching them, I actually felt kind of proud to be an American we, for all of our deficiencies, yes. and much as I loathe Trump and the Trumpization of the Republican Party. This is a country where you 
can impeach a president and, and, and try him, and you have these members of Congress making a serious, sober, factual case, constitutional case. They're not being demagogues. So even though part of our system has succumbed to demagoguery, not all of it. I mean, you really thought – this didn't feel – I really felt like this was a, ho- a pretty – impressive moment for the country yeah i'm a huge fan of 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 uh i hadn't really known much about our our the member from the virgin islands that's a yes. uh, you know and the, i guess she doesn't get to vote but, uh, yes. but i did a little research she can be president however since she's an american citizen i believe and i think she was born in the bronx actually somewhere near yeah she was yeah near maybe we're near near where we grew up so yeah. um i just don't know whether she gets the top of the ticket and jamie herrera butler is the VP <laughs> or vice versa <laughs> the, ticket, dream, huh? the dream the dream the dream bipartisan ticket of 2024 I'm I'm on board yeah. for that, but I agree with her. I I, I agree with her on one point, and I, I you know I I, I got a lot of uh, crap for saying this uh, in the moment. I, I think I don't know why they asked. I mean, asked for witnesses if they weren't going to have witnesses. Maybe it was to you know maybe they knew they could land there. I, I think it was kind of a it was sort of an audible that they called, but. Um, I think they did the absolute right thing because she's right. I mean, they could look. Donald Trump could have come in and confessed, <laughs> and they would not yeah, have. That's my point. Yeah, they would not have convicted him, and so they would have tied the Senate up for weeks. And you know, if I'm Biden sitting down the the, the road at the White House, I'm thinking, you know what? I want to get moving on the yep. stuff that that really matters right now, which is the virus. The you know, because they're not going to convict this guy. They put on a good enough show to pick up maybe one or two Republicans to take it from five to seven, best they could have done, you know, and I think the White House shrewdly thought, okay, declare victory, wrap this thing up and and get on to giving us what we need to get vaccine shots in people's arms. Because as we've been saying on the podcast for a while, that's how you get the economy back for the midterms. And I, I would say... I'm kind of watching generic vaccine anger because it's linked to the Gavin Newsom recall back in California. I did the Schwarzenegger recall, so it's an area of interest to me. And they're starting to hit the rocks a little. You know, Biden's got a little goodwill out of the box, but it's not been a good week because of the shortages. So I think the Biden guys are right to move on, change the channel, and start delivering because that is the route for them. And fighting over witnesses where Lindsey Graham is going to going to call you know uh the squad or somebody and just have a ridiculous fight like that wasn't good for biden yeah and where the republicans could tie uh, uh, threaten to tie up the senate yeah this is um i mean the i don't want to i don't want to impugn the good uh voting and tweeting public out there but you know a lot of it was <laughs> oh democrats are so weak this is why democrats always lose this was this was a smart uh, tactical move on their part, uh, and they had their eye on the larger picture. This wasn't going to get better over time. Well, the great dilemma of American politics to rip off John Stuart Mills is, of course, the Republicans are the evil party and the Democrats are the neurotic party. So they both both go to that. I think the Dems should be very happy. I mean, it's pretty clear they're going to go the uh, budget reconciliation route and uh, go— Dems, Dems only, likely Dems only on the uh, on the rescue package. What do you think the political implications of that are? I think it's I think it's the right thing to do from their point of view. I'm not. I guess they'll get Dems only. Is it that is it that easy a vote for the Republicans to say because it's bigger than I would like? I'm voting against 
money for unemployment insurance, uh, keeping businesses open, vaccines, testing. But I don't like the state and local government stuff, which I myself would probably cut back some. So I'm going to vote against the whole package. I guess they can say they'll vote for a a substitute motion and so forth, a a smaller package. But I think that's a risky vote for the Republicans. And I, so I'm not with the uh, sort of bipartisan, good government types on this. Oh, Biden should give up something to get a few Republican votes. He needs the vaccines to work. And I was talking with a public health official an hour ago, and he said one of the big – I said, what about testing? Aren't we forgetting that we also need testing as well as vaccines to really open things up, especially in the schools? He said yes, and the the testing is a money-driven thing, and they're short of money, and there's testing money in that package. If anything, I think the administration just has to hammer home how necessary the the money is. They got some Republican governors and mayors in, I saw, was it Friday, I think, to say, hey, we could use that money, you know? So let the, I think that Biden has a winning hand on this and I would go for, go big. Uh, All my Republican friends were all suddenly so upset that, gee, some of this money might go to people making a little too much. You know, someone making 150,000 is going to get a little help. Fine. Then the Republicans can support a tax increase on the wealthy in two years to claw back some of that money if they're so concerned suddenly. Well, you know, I I have more doubts about it. I, I get the argument for, and it resonates with me, but I think the repubs might have an opportunity after this to reverse litigate it after things start coming start after it starts working then they go oh, too much money here are horror cases you know and anecdotal evidence can cut in campaigns so you know we've got 17 plus it's going to hit 25 billion in fraud in california that's going to pop up other places so just politically i think the repubs may i i agree with you they're going to get bombed in the first round for being against this stuff but after it happens, we'll be back to shovel-ready kind of arguments and all that. And next year, I don't know. There might be some offense for them. Here's the paradox. The, the Republicans who are most inclined to cooperate and work with Biden are also old-line establishment Republicans for whom uh, fiscal, and, you know, fiscal conservatism is orthodoxy. The people who don't care about fiscal orthodoxy are the Trump guys who don't think they should cooperate with Biden on anything. Right. So therefore, I think they both, both groups will not. Uh, cooperate, but I'm I'm with Crystal, man. I I think that's always a good place to be, obviously. And yeah, and, I know this yeah, is now you're doomed, especially you're... in this group. I mean, it's kind of an easy choice, frankly. <laughs> yeah, for yes, but, yeah, yeah, right, exactly. Don't you think the Biden people can also find something to work with Republicans on immediately after? One hundred percent. They need yeah, to do that on infrastructure or something, and conspicuously have Romney over to the White House thirty-seven times and stuff. You know, and in that sense, Biden tonally has handled this well because he hasn't personalized uh, any of. The this. Um, no, I think infrastructure, what's interesting to me, you know, Larry Summers criticized the uh, package for not including uh, infrastructure and other more tangible uh, investments. But it's very clear that they've made a judgment that they think they can do that outside this package and maybe do it on a bipartisan basis. They also, you know, they have one more turn of the wheel on reconciliation where they could do it again through reconciliation. So, um, you know, they're making a bet that they can get infrastructure. But I do think there are things that they can cooperate uh, with. Uh, they can find 10 Republicans to cooperate on. And that would be a prime uh, a prime case. They're going to have to thrash out how much of it goes to inv- uh, to to green energy investments and and other things uh, as opposed to other things. But uh, I think that they uh, can get no, they're, there. They're being shrewd. They're using the hammer for the, the nail they have to drive where there aren't going to be Republicans and everything else is where the deal making comes in. If they can 
they can do more of a block granting infrastructure thing, not a lot of, you know, micromanagement. They can get our votes. I totally agree with them on that. Okay, let's take a break right here for a word from our sponsor, and we'll be right back. And if you have a question for the mailbag, all you got to do is email us. We actually, uh, we have our people read these and tell us what they're like. No, we actually read them. And you can do that by emailing us at hacksontap at gmail.com, hacksontap at gmail.com. Now, our first question is from Carlton Murphy. As someone who knows a thing or two about California recalls, how do you rate the chances of Gavin Newsom surviving a recall if and when the effort reaches the necessary number of signatures? And if he is recalled, what does that mean for 2022? Well, Carlton, that is a great question. The California recall thing has a bunch of hurdles you got to get through. One, you got to get enough signatures to get it on the ballot. And we don't know yet if the recall proponents have done that. Now, interestingly, they're on a shoestring, but they've still, which is a good measure of how angry the electorate is, they've done a pretty good job of getting close to the 1.4 million. The issue then becomes how many of the 1.4 million are good uh, signatures. They've been running at an 85% rate higher than normal. So I think we don't know for sure, but I would bet they will make the ballot. Then if you're Newsom, you've got to be worried about, when in the Arnold recall, a lot of it was about popular kind of a spike in frustration at a, a, a tax, a, a car tax, as it was kind of portrayed. And so now with the COVID shutdowns and just general unhappiness in the Golden State, will, will Newsom just kind of be the wrong guy at the wrong place, the one guy on the chopping block they can go punish? The polling shows that his numbers have really declined, but he's not in as bad a shape as Governor Gray Davis was back in 2003 in the, in the recall in California. So question one will be on the ballot. I think it's more likely than not it will. Two, will he survive the up-down vote? Um, you know, right now, I think he might make it, but it's very, very fungible. And the Newsom people are opening up restaurants and, you know, they're worried and they should be because it could be a perfect storm for him. California has become more democratic since 2003 too, which is a little tailwind for him. And there's no superstar candidate right now emerging as the easy, what happens if we recall this guy question. So as far as what it means for 22, not that much. Uh, it's more of a state thing. The media will cover it as populist anger over COVID. But if Biden does his job, COVID will be in the rearview mirror. It does raise stakes, though. If you're screwing up COVID and Gavin Newsom's political head is on a spike being marched around California, uh, that's chilling news for the vice president in the midterms, too. It just reinforces how important COVID politics are. Yeah. No, I think this is going to be an early early sign of that. Bill Crystal, Amy wants to know this. Do you think the media's overcoverage of Marjorie Taylor Greene is repeating the same mistake they made when, with Trump in 2015? Do you think it leads to giving her too much power for the GOP? Isn't any power too much power? But yeah, anyway. What would have thought? I mean, with All Trump. right, that's piling on, comrade. Come on. We're having a bad week. <laughs> I mean, Trump was good at exploiting the media and, and had been a host of his very successful uh, primetime show for for over a decade, which is, I've always thought was one of the- 14 years. One of the things I most underestimated in 2015 in the primary, just how many people thought they knew him, liked him. He's an effective- I hey, Can I tell you something? A- can I interrupt your answer for a second to tell you something? We did a poll 
Uh, I asked somebody to do a poll for me in 2015 of Republican primary voters, and I asked them to have a tab on people who watched The uh, Apprentice versus people who didn't. And his rate, and, and first of all, a surprising number of Republican primary voters watched The Apprentice. Secondly, his ratings were not surprisingly astronomical among those voters. He was flat among everybody else. Uh, that was his base. He literally created a base from his television show. Yeah, I was at an event in Virginia in the in the fall of 2015, and this is before I was persona non grata at all Republican events, since Trump was not yet the nominee, and I still foolishly thought we might have a normal uh, candidate, and um, in the tradition of you know McCain and Romney and, and so forth. And I remember um, talking, you know, with someone who was at this dinner and I and chatting, and she was for Trump, and I she kind of knew I was anti Trump, and I said, well, "Why are you for him?" Well, he's a very successful businessman, and you know. And I said, really? I don't know, he's bankruptcies and stuff. No, I've seen him, you know. And it turns out, I mean, people watched that show and believed he was who we played on that yeah. show. It was quite a brilliant thing in a certain way. And just to get on Marjorie Taylor Greene, it's not the same. I mean, the coverage does, maybe helps her a little with a few people, but mostly it emphasizes what a total lunatic she is. And if we're at a point where seeing more Marjorie Taylor Greene helps Marjorie Taylor Greene, then we're even further gone than we, than I well, I was going to say that I then that I had hoped we are. I then I I don't know. Maybe we are further gone. But anyway, so I don't think it's yeah. quite comparable to Trump, honestly. So we did the same polling back in the day, and the most interesting Trump finding was all that celeb stuff was true, but people think it was all the grievance at the beginning. His voters thought he would get stuff done in Washington. They yeah. actually thought the Apprentice viewers that his large and in charge thing would solve all the. He'd get them around the table. He'd wheel and deal. So he, believe it or not, was the deliver results guy at the beginning based on that brand, which was a shocker to us because we saw the clown dimension. Well, you heard Lindsey Graham. I mean, Lindsey Graham would argue he was the deliver results guy. You know, the judges, the tax cuts. Right. Uh, and Mitch makes the and, same argument. Yeah. So and, and kick, kicking everybody they hate in the ass again and again and again. Yeah. She's drafting off of Trump right now, actually. I mean, a lot of the right. octane in her tank is by being is cleaving close to Trump. I mean, Trump embraced her uh, from afar, from Mar-a-Lago, before that vote in the House where they the Republican caucus took a powder and uh, and uh, would not discipline her, leaving her to the tender mercies of the Democrats. Uh, so, uh, but I mean, I the, the, I'm just haunted by the fact that uh, the QAnon. Uh, you know, conspiracy theories, you know, uh, Jewish lasers from space starting the starting the, uh, uh, you know, the wildfires in California uh, and all this other nonsense. Uh, <laughs> well, tell them know, to heat the, up my pool. It's a little cold <laughs> out there. By the way, just to start our own Q thing, <laughs> GameStop, all right? Eight letters in a space, right? Nine. Start with Z for Zion. Go backwards in the alphabet. Q. There you go. Get that on the internet. <laughs> I couldn't even follow. That was so that was so deep I couldn't you, you, even follow you, it. That you was... don't even you don't get stuff like that elsewhere. That's why people come you know, to that's... hacks on tap. You don't get that on conversations, Crystal. No, you know this <laughs> yeah, has to be renamed no, no. Quacks on Tap. You know to get the Q there. GameStop nine. Go backwards. It's Q. That explains everything. Now a question for David Axelrod. <laughs> yeah. So this is from Tanner who picked up on my whole Q numerology thing. So here's one for you, David. Who started the first 100 days of a presidential administration? 
I know it's a favorite topic of the media, but why is that the time frame we always judge new administrations by? Good question. It's a really good question. And, I, and I'm going to use um, Crystal as a lifeline, but I think it goes back to Franklin Roosevelt. Uh, I think that's right. Yeah. And uh, when he came to office uh, in the midst of the Depression and promised this cascade of action, which which he produced uh, over 100 days to try and persuade the country that the power of government could help uh, drive uh, the country out of the morass uh, that it was in. And it was a very, very active period. And that's become, uh, you know, that's become a, a line of demarcation, but particularly in times of crisis. I think it, it is a, a, in a sense, it's symbolic of uh, quick, decisive action uh, to deal with crises. We, you know, certainly that was true uh, back in 2009 uh, when Obama took office. I think it's, it's, People are looking at it now, but it, it is a bit of a contrivance. Totally. It's like the 10-point plan. Really? <laughs> you know, it, the greatest historical quote, you're, you're nerds, you know this one, it always makes me laugh, was after World War II when Wilson came up with his 14 points, Clemens saw the president of France, turned over to Lloyd George and said, you know, Jesus Christ only had 10. I've always thought that uh, was appropriate. I guaranteed we will be seeing a lot of 100-day stories, perhaps 100-day specials on TV when the 100 days roll around. And, uh, you know, I think that uh, the Biden folks are going to be focused on, you know, he's already said 100 million vaccinations in 100 days. I think they're well past that as a goal now. But he himself sees the 100 days as a line of, uh, you know, as a test of sorts. So we'll see. Well, hell, this is the 103rd Hacks on Tap. Is yeah. that right? Wow. I know. The country survived. So the, can I ask you guys a question? I'm just curious. I'm curious. Mike said earlier that, you know, California, there's a lot of discontent, obviously, and, and you see it in the news and recall. I guess sitting here in Northern Virginia, maybe it's because I got my first shot last week, that I kind of feel like people think Biden's done pretty well, that the, it's got a little messed up here in Fairfax County with the vaccines, and especially the schools. But he's trying to navigate the schools thing is tricky, but that basically we're on track to hopefully getting people vaccinated pretty fast, getting schools open, not quite as fast as we would like, but but eventually but having a summer that looks fairly normal. I guess I'm just curious, you're in, you're in Illinois, David, but you both talk to people from all over. I mean, what do you sense the, I guess I sense the mood is a little more cheerful and optimistic than Mike seems to sense it is out in California. It's bad in California, shortages. I really do think it, I think it's variable. I think it's variable. I think California, you know, you see the news from LA and there's real desperation because of the shortage of vaccines in, in Illinois. There've been spotty shortages of vaccine. I'm actually down right now in Arizona. I got a shot and, you know, so far it's been, um, it's been going pretty smoothly uh, down here, although, you know, um, I think that there are there were some uh, pharmacies that uh, down here, were, you know, there was an expectation that they would have the vaccine. They haven't gotten the vaccine yet and so on. So, I mean, look, people are grumpy as they should be. It's been a long, hard siege and they're looking for the end. And um, so I, I do think this is a fraught time. And uh, I think in places where it's going well, people are feeling better. In places where it's not, they're not. And he's going to be held responsible. And, you know, Biden understood uh, that the day he took office, this was no longer Trump's problem. Now it's his problem. Yeah. And um, it, clearly they're doing everything 
they can't accelerate this process, but he will be judged on this. The only shot I have is on my voter registration card in Cook County, where five of me vote, but I'm still waiting. You guys, you I'm the spring chicken here. You AARPers are first in line. You've you've made that joke so many times that I've had all five of you removed from the voter rolls. <laughs> I, I just want you to... People tweet me about it. For some reason, it's become a thing. So there you go. Now, I want to finish with a plug. I want to thank Bill Crystal. You want to keep up with his insurgency, you can go to the bulwark which yep. is kind of the, the high beacon of those of us in the anti-Trump army or battalion. Hey, hey, listen, man, I'm a Democrat, and I read it, and I enjoy it. <laughs> Thank you. So, That's yeah. been, it's been great. Oh, you just put us out of business. But no, it's uh, – and we will we will be back with all kinds of stuff. David, always good to chat with you. Great to see you, brother. Safe travels out there. Everybody be safe, and we'll be Bill, back Bill, good next to see week. you. Great to see you both. Yeah. Take care. Good to see you.